the screen, worship is heavenly. So, worship is heavenly. We're going to see if we can get there. So the immediate context of our um, message is that the Israelites have been delivered from bondage in slavery in Egypt. They're camped out at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, who has seen the movie The Prince of Egypt? Okay, that's what, this, that's what I just talked about. They're delivered from Egypt. But uh, who's seen the movie The Ten Commandments? Much better. Only the older people have seen The Ten Commandments. Much, much better. Awesome, awesome. You should watch that movie, Charlton Heston. When he gets, sees the, the burning bush, he gets a spirit of religion. His hair goes... <laughs> anyway, great movie. So this is the story we're talking about. So the broader context of this story is God's relationship, God's covenant relationship with a man named Abraham. Anybody ever heard of Abraham? Of course you have. So why did God deliver the Israelites from Egypt? It says in the Bible, he heard their groaning. Why did their groaning get God's attention? God was in covenant relationship with the Israelites because of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's why he heard them. That's why he responded. In Genesis 15, we get the details of God's covenant with Abraham. It includes he's going to have more offspring than you can count. He's going to get this land that he's standing on, which is now known as Israel. And it's, by the way, much, much more than what is the current day Israel is what God promised to Abraham. They haven't ever received it all. Uh, so, in fact, God told Abraham that his, he, he told him when he made this covenant, your descendants are going to be taken, go down to a foreign land and be there for 400 years and become slaves. Not really a nice promise that God gave him to, but it came to pass. And so, uh, but eventually they would return to their own land. So Jacob went down to Egypt. As you know, the story from the prince of Egypt, there was only 70 people when they went down, 70 Israelites when they came out. We don't know the exact numbers, but it was at least a million. Some people, scholars say it could have been two and a half to three million. It was a lot of people. They multiplied. And so the Egyptians got afraid of them and enslaved them, made them their slaves. God sent Moses to deliver them, didn't he? And he said this to the, the Lord told Moses to say this to the people. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. God wanted to remind them about this covenant he made with Abraham. And uh, this is central. You'll, you'll hear Marianne and I, anytime we stand up, almost always talk about this covenant because it's central. And it's so important. And it runs through the entire scripture from Genesis on till now. So... Um, The Lord wanted to deliver them because of this covenant. So this teaching is about worship, not covenant. We'll get to that. This is what God told Moses to say to Pharaoh. Who knows what he said? What he told him? Let my people go so that they can worship me. So that they can worship me. Our, our talk is about worship. Let my people go so they can worship. The, worst, the word here is Gary is coming next week and he's going to be talking about different words for worship. This is just one of them. The word that's used here uh, could be better translated as to serve. 
As you know, last week, Brian was talking about worship, and uh, he said, we call this a worship service because we're here to serve the Lord. We're not here for him to serve us. We came here to serve him. And this is what God is saying. Let the Israelites go, saying this to Pharaoh, let them go so that they can come and serve me. So he delivered them out of bondage so they might serve him. This was an unconditional covenant that he made with Abraham. It wasn't based on obedience to the law. They didn't have the law. They didn't even have it. It was just based on God's covenant relationship and his desire to bless Abraham and his families. So fast forward, they get out of Egypt. That's where the... Sorry, we're moving to Marianne now. He had his finger over my name. He couldn't see it was my turn to talk. Woo! <laughs> this, will, this will be challenging. <laughs> so God delivered Abraham's family out of slavery in Egypt because of the covenant he made with Abraham. This is so important for us to get this because we relate to God also on the basis of covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham, and 430 years later, he's still taking care of Abraham's family because he said he would. He promised Abraham. I wanted to look at, do we have slide five up there? Then, Mo, then he said to Moses, God said to Moses, come up to the Lord, Yahweh. This is just a little free lesson for you here. Anytime in the Bible you see L-O-R-D, all capital letters, that's Yahweh. What's really written there in Hebrew is God's name. So he's being very specific about who he is. Not just any old God, not just any old Lord. This is Yahweh. Yahweh. Come up to Yahweh, you and Aaron and Nadav and Avihu and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So you get the picture of what's happening. You know, some people are going partway up the mountain. Moses is going all the way up the mountain, but most of the people are staying down at the bottom. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning, and he built an altar and at, at the foot of the mountain. And part of his altar was 12 big stones. They're called pillars, one stone for every tribe in Israel. And he sent young men to make a sacrifice, burnt offerings of oxen, and burnt offerings and peace offerings. That's kind of important. We're not really going to talk a lot about offerings today. But a burnt offering represented the people's desire to give their whole selves to God. And a peace offering or a fellowship offering represented their desire to have relationship, to have fellowship with God. So that's the offerings that they're making right before they enter into covenant with God. And slide seven, Moses took half of the blood from these oxen that they killed, and he put it in bowls, basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar, and then he took the book of the covenant where he had written down everything that God said, and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. <laughs> and he said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. 
So they knew they were in covenant relationship with God because Moses just threw blood all over them. And the blood was the sign of the covenant. Worship is costly. Pastor Brian talked about that last week, I think it was. They had to sacrifice oxen, but they also had to commit themselves, their whole selves, to God. It cost them everything. I'm reading you big chunks of scripture because I want you to see that this is not just a good idea that Stephen and I had. But God said it, and it's written in his word. Then Moses and Aaron and Nadav and Avihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Let that sink in just a minute. They saw God. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. In other words, they saw him and they didn't die. And they beheld God and they ate and they drank. And as Stephen said, there's a whole teaching that could be done on covenant. And there's all kinds of um, components to covenant. But often a meal is part of covenant. You know, even today when in weddings where brides and grooms feed each other the cake, that's a symbol of the covenant meal that's last until today in our culture. So these elders of Israel were having a covenant meal with God partway up the mountain. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone and the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So this, this covenant that God is making with the Israelites is called the Mosaic Covenant. Sometimes it's called the law. In Hebrew, it's called the Torah. But law sometimes gives us a very negative perception and I think a better word for us to understand is instruction because the Torah is God's instruction for living and he says to his people if you will live the way I tell you to live things will go well for you and you'll be blessed so here we're going to connect with Pastor Brian's message from two weeks ago worship is for God because God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments And the first commandment, which is written on the stone tablet by the hand of God, is, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of, I need slide nine. Yeah, there it is. Sorry. (laughs) I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, L-O-R-D, I, Yahweh, am your God. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love, the Hebrew word there is chesed, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. A lot of times you'll see in Scripture, um, Loving kindness or mercy. Loving kindness or mercy for me don't really communicate what chesed means. Because I can be loving and kind, you know, to people. 
and people can be loving and kind to me. Or people can be merciful. They can forgive me or let me get away with something that I deserve to be punished for. But what Chesed actually says is covenantal favor. I'm, I'm getting blessed because I'm in covenant relationship with God. Not because I deserve it. Not because I've necessarily even followed all the law. But because I am in covenant relationship with God, he has favor on me. So I want you to think about that. When we're talking about covenant, chesed, covenantal favor. So the people are at the foot of the mountain, and the leaders on the, and the elders are up having a covenantal meal partway up the mountain. God meets with Moses. He gives him the Mosaic Covenant, which is in, includes this very specific, very detailed instructions about how to build the tabernacle and all of the furnishings and all of the elements and everything that was needed in order for the people to serve him. It's not haphazard, and it's not their idea. It's God's idea. And he's telling them exactly, specifically, how he wants it to be done. And all these very specific rules and regulations and procedures that God gave to the Israelites were not for the purpose of keeping the people away from God. In fact, to the contrary, they were for the purpose of bringing the people near God. Because God is something that we call holy. Holy, completely other than, set apart, holy. And God can't be in the same place with sin. So God's holy and the people are sinful. And how do the people get to be close to God? God has to make them holy. And so the tabernacle was his plan for bringing the people into his presence, making them holy so that they could come near to him. He wanted to dwell in their midst. He says over and over again, I want, to, I want to live right in the middle of you where you are. I want to be close to you. And even though God requires holiness, he's the only one who can actually grant holiness. We can't get ourselves holy. Holiness is not about being good and obeying all the rules and doing everything right because none of us can do that ever. Holiness is just about listening to God and following his instruction so that he can make us holy. The tabernacle was a testimony of God's provision to make the people of Israel holy so he could be close to them. You see, he says, I'm holy, you're sinful. I want to be with you, but the only way I can be with you is if you become holy, I'll make you holy. So, just a couple of things. We want to make sure you understand this is not the temple. I, I don't, sometimes, I think when I first heard about this, I didn't realize there was a difference between the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle is a um, mobile, transportable, you can pack it up and take it places kind of worship place. And it was with the people in the wilderness for 40 years, and then it was the, with them in the promised land for another some many years before the temple was actually built. So this is a model of um, the tabernacle. And I just, um, I'm going to correct myself because it's kind of a model, but not really a model. It's not a replica. It's a representation. It's not built to scale. The, the, the brazen altar would be twice the size of this, 
but the labor would be about the same size as this. And like when we started building it, we thought we can do something scale, and we realized if we make the altar to any kind of scale, then everything else is going to be too tiny for people to see. So it's just a representation, and it's, it's what's happening. Stephen will explain the inside. That's it. That's all I want you to know. This is just a representation, not to scale. It's just to give you an idea of what we're talking about, and then we'll also have pictures up on the um, overhead for you to see. Slide. What's that? Hold the mic close. That's my instructions from Pastor Brian. Hold the mic close. Is that close enough? Okay. All right, so we are going to read some scripture. I want to say something that we were going to say at the beginning and we forgot. Brian said this last week. I really like it, and that is uh, we're going to say a whole bunch of stuff this morning, and maybe one thing that we say interests you or the Lord touches your heart about it, uh, write it down or remember it and dwell on that when you get home or throughout the week because I believe the Lord wants to speak to every single one of us today, including Mary and I, as we're giving this message. Exodus 25, I'm going to read this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution or an offering from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen goat's hairs. Excuse me, fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins. I wouldn't have had any of those around. I don't know about y'all. Goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for the settings, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. And where do you think the Israelites got gold and silver and all that stuff they had? From the Egyptians, gave it to them. The Lord said, go ask them for it. And they did. And they gave it to them. They're like, here, take my gold. Just get out of here. So they had all of this stuff from Egypt. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furnishings, so you shall make it. There I will meet with Moses, with you, Moses. And from above the mercy seat, And from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So the Lord is just, as Marianne read, he's taken them onto a mountain, he's let them see into heaven, and he's let Moses see something uh, that must have resembled this because he said, build it according to the pattern that I've shown you. So, here we are in this pattern. Now we're going to start going through it. I hope the curtains, we closed the curtains just to show the separation. Um, This picture on the screen is a more accurate depiction of what the whole thing would have looked like. So you have a fence that goes around the outside. And by the way, the, the Bible tells us exactly how, what kind of wood they were supposed to use for the poles how far the poles were spaced apart, what the material was supposed to be made of, what the clips that hold the material up was supposed to be made of. It goes on and on and on. It's so specific. God said, do it exactly like this and make sure you don't screw it up, Moses. Make it right. I mean, it's exactly what he says. He's very important to God. So the outer fence is 
separates everything you can't get inside. So I'm now going to become the Israelite worshiper, even though I'm a West Side Jacksonviller. And I make a decision that I want to approach God. I want to go here. So I'm going to go down to the east side of this structure because it always faced the east. And here's the entrance. And, and you see on that picture, you have a fence that goes all the way around and only one way into where the presence of the Lord dwells. This was, it's called a gate in the Bible. It's actually a curtain. And the colors were uh, red or scarlet and blue and what's the other color? Purple. That's correct. That's why we have the purple colors here. Unfortunately, we don't have three exactly alike. They were, they were, should be correct, but it was ornate and beautiful. You can see a little bit of it in that picture. They were um, embroidered with cherubim and just beautiful things. So I made the decision. I'm coming in. So here I go. I'm going in the gate. I'm going to step in. And now that I've stepped in, the first thing I come to in the courtyard, I'm still not in the tabernacle. I'm in the courtyard. The first thing I come to is this altar, which, as Marianne said, I believe it tells you up here is seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet by four and a half feet tall. Okay, if you want to. Now, if I've come in here, I'm standing here. This is a giant, pretty big altar. It's got fire in it. It's had sacrifices put on it. It's hot. It's stinky. It's bloody. It smells like roast beef and burnt roast beef all at once. Okay? But if I've come in here, I've come in here to make a sacrifice of one sort or another. You don't come in here without something to offer to the Lord. It can be an animal, and the Lord very specific, which we're not, as Marianne said, that's an entire another teaching. Our friend Cheryl can teach you all day long about the different sacrifices who's seated right here, um, uh, which we're not going to talk about. But today, I've brought with me a sheep from my flock that I'm going to offer as a sin sacrifice. And this sheep can't just be any sheep. I've gone through the flock. I'm a farmer. I want my sheep to be uh, a strong herd. But I've picked out the, the strongest one-year-old male who's flawless. He's a perfect specimen. He's the one I'd really like to keep and breed with all my other sheep so that I build a whole, a whole flock like him. But the Lord said, you bring the best of your, your uh, animals. So I brought him in because, as our other previous lesson was, worship is costly. So I have brought him in. And because of my sin, I now have to lay my hands on his head and confess my sin over him, and then I have to slaughter him. I'm going to kill him. And his blood has to be captured, and now the priest has to capture his blood because I can't do that. This is where the mediator of the covenant is now these priests. The priest has to catch the blood, splatter it onto the altar, and then we'll go through preparing as the, as the uh, law tells us to, preparing the animal to be put on, the, on this altar and burnt. Some of the um, animals could be eaten. A sin offering couldn't be eaten, but a fellowship offering could. So you would cook it, really. 
and then take some of it for the priests, take some of it for the worshiper. Uh, there are also grain offerings that could be offered here. But what we've just done now is my sheep. Any animal that gets brought through these gates, that's, his, that's what's going to happen to him. He's going to be sacrificed and burnt. So this is a place of blood. It's a place of death. The wages of sin is death. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the result of that was the Lord killed an animal instead of them. Sacrifice is at the core of our faith in Christianity. So, What's next? You can't see it over there. I'm going to move it so you can see it. This is the bronze laver. And it's just a container that had water. Uh, when the priest came to work, they had to start doing a ceremonial washing. And then after they did work here, they would need to wash their hands and clean themselves quite a lot. Agreed? Now we're going to the next curtain. This curtain here will separate the courtyard from the actual entrance to the tabernacle. Again, you have that picture. The tabernacle is actually a tent that's inside the courtyard. That is the actual tabernacle. It has two compartments, and we don't have, we don't display it, or, or it's not depicted very well. It would be nice if we had another wall here so you could see, but there are two rooms inside the tabernacle. This room is called the Holy Place. And we're going to go into there. I wouldn't actually open this. Okay, I'm going to let Brian open it. I wouldn't actually open it if I was a priest. But it's important to know that what the worshiper, I as the worshiper did here, that's all that anybody, if you weren't a priest, that's what you could do. You came into the courtyard. You made a sacrifice. Everything else that takes place in here is done by the priest, who is the mediator of the Mosaic Covenant. We're inside here now. This place, this tent that you saw, there's just a good depiction of this room. And there is no light in here. The covering that is on this tent, God specified what they were to do. It has four layers. It's dark inside there. And the only light is the menorah or the lampstand. God told them, built with seven branches, it burns oil. The priest... Were, had to attend to it. It should never go out. They could take one off and service that particular one, trim the wicks, add to it, and still have light from the other six. So um, if you know the story of Hanukkah, anybody here know what the Hanukkah story is? It's concerning. It's, it's all about this lamp burning. Here we have the table of showbread. And by the way, these poles which that should also have poles on it, and it doesn't. But the poles were because the priests, could, they carried all of these things when, it, when they moved it. They had to carry it by these poles. They were to never be taken out. So this is a table of showbread, and it would have 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And it sat in here in the presence of the Lord in the tabernacle for a week, and then every Sabbath, it was changed out. And I thought to myself when I was, ta when I was 
you know, studying this, gee, does it go stale? I don't think it went stale because it's in the presence of the Lord. I don't think we get stale in the presence of the Lord. Anyway. So the priest could eat it, but they had to eat it in here. After it had been here for seven days and they're changing it out, then they could eat it. Uh, let's see. And I think also the bread must have been heavenly. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, the altar of incense. Now we do have incense in here. I'm going to put some more just because it's fun. Except for I don't think it's burning. Okay, our altar of incense, I haven't been a very good priest. Our, our altar went out. <laughs> we had it lit yesterday going really nicely. So uh, the Lord speci- told them specifically what they were supposed to burn in here. And those incense couldn't be used. The mixture that was used couldn't be used any other place. It could only be burned here. They kept it burning 24 hours a day. I don't know how they did that, but that's what they were supposed to do. So a couple times a day they serviced it. So now we come to another gate, another curtain, which is just like the other two. It's a beautiful curtain. Only this one has no seam in it. Ours has a seam. The one that was in the tabernacle had no seam. It was a one piece of material, side to side, top to bottom. And the high priest is the only one who could go in here. We've talked in here about Yom Kippur before. That's the only day of the year that he could go in there and do his work. as a once-a-year thing. So we're going to go in here and talk about what's in here, which I'm going to let Brian open this. So... Here we are. My wife told me this morning, you say so too often. I'm sorry. All right. This box was made of acacia wood, like the Lord told him to make it, covered with gold. That would have been nice to have, have some gold, but they had plenty of it. Inside the box, was a jar of manna, was the staff, Aaron's staff that had bloomed, and also the book of the covenant that we were talking about that was written, the the stone tablets that God himself had written on. So oftentimes you see the Ten Commandments. Yeah, if you watch the movie, the Ten Commandments, where lightning comes down and writes on the stone, it's pretty cool. That was what was inside of it. That's the ark itself. But on top of it is what's called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was made of pure gold. It had two angels that were also made of pure gold. And if you look on the screen, it's a better depiction because the angels' wings were supposed to reach out and touch each other. And here, over the mercy seat, when they dedicated this place, the Lord's presence came and it it dwelled right here in the tabernacle among the Israelites as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And you can see on this picture, wait, back up to the previous one, you can see here, the. this is a pretty good depiction of the whole thing. You can see the two compartments. You see the rendition of what the presence of the Lord may have looked like. And now let's go to the next slide. 
And this is an artist's rendition of you have a million or maybe two million Israelites camped around this structure, and maybe that's what it looked like with a pillar of fire, perhaps. So Stephen has taken you through the tabernacle, taken us through the tabernacle as if we were worshipers. We begin down there at the curtain, at the gate, and we come in by the brazen altar. But when God describes the tabernacle in the Bible, I'll try to stand where y'all can all see me. When God describes the tabernacle, he begins in the Holy of Holies at the Ark of the Covenant because that's where he is. That's his vantage point. So you see, God is in the holy place looking towards the worshiper. The worshiper is at the altar looking towards God. Here in the Holy of Holies, Stephen described it. This box is called the Ark of the Covenant. I think Ark is a confusing word. It was, it was a confusing word for me. This is better, isn't it? It was a confusing word for me when I was a kid because I thought of Noah's Ark and this Ark. Like, how are those things both Arks? But Arks are really just containers that hold things. Uh, like a, um, in, in, in Hebrew, the word is aron. And in modern Hebrew, Aron is a closet. So it was a place for keeping things. That's the box. But the mercy seat, as Stephen said, is the place that's on top. And it's called a kaporet. And scholars say that um, covering, covering is not really the best translation for that word, that it's kind of a rare use of the verb. It seems to be maybe unique to this, this particular thing. It's more, it's better described as the place where atonement is made. It's the place of atonement. The mercy seat is the place of atonement. Psalm 99 says, The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. And Isaiah 37 says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Isaiah says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. So we kind of have this picture that God's throne is between the angels, but not really here on earth. His throne is between the angels in heaven. And somehow we have this mysterious supernatural thing happening here with the presence of God. That, that really God is in heaven on his throne between the angels and earth is his footstool. And his presence is somehow connecting in both places and he's enthroned in both places. Enthroned in heaven but enthroned here on earth above the mercy seat. The place of atonement, the mercy seat, the covering on earth is patterned after the place of atonement in heaven. And as we said, as Stephen said, inside the ark are the tablets. They're a perpetual, that word means eternal, they're an eternal reminder that God has placed before his people a standard of righteousness. But the blood over the top 
is also a perpetual reminder, an eternal reminder that God has made the provision for them to be able to be holy according to the Ten Commandments. So you have God's righteous standard and you have God's gracious provision right here in the mercy seat. This is what happened in the Old Testament with Moses and the Israelites. And when Jesus came, all of this changed. Everything changed. Not that it was thrown away, not that it was bad, but it changed. God wants to introduce a superior covenant and a superior sacrifice. So if you're paying attention and you heard me say in the beginning, God started with this covenant with Abraham. And the whole reason he was willing to, to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt was because he had a covenant with their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now that they're out of Egypt and they need to know how to relate to God, he gives them a new covenant called the Mosaic Covenant. But when Jesus comes on the scene, if you remember, the night before he's crucified, he lifts up this cup and he says, this is the blood of my covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. It's a new covenant, not like the old covenant. The new covenant's not going to be written on stones. It's going to be written on our heart. So when God made a new covenant, a superior covenant, it was the Mosaic covenant that passed away, not the Abrahamic covenant. It's still in effect today. But the new covenant that we are all part of, every one of us here, if we've entered into covenant relationship with God, we're all part of the new covenant, and the tabernacle still has something to say to us today. We're going from God's perspective, from the holiest place towards the worshiper. So here we've got incense. Pastor Brian's got it going now. It smells really good. I don't know. Can y'all smell it? You like it? Oh, good. <laughs> Hebrews 7 says, He was able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Incense in scripture many times represents prayers. The prayers of the people the prayers of Jesus. And so he lives to make intercession for us. And I think intercession is just not always just prayers we pray. But sometimes we live out certain things, certain experiences and situations in our lives. And if we live them with a humble heart before the Lord, that is an intercession too. Like our lives can be intercession. So on the altar of incense, the life of Jesus became an intercession always before the Father on our behalf. That's the altar of incense. Here at the table of the bread of the presence, Deuteronomy says man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we're eating the word of God. We're feeding on the word of God. We need something more than food to live this life. We need to know what's written in the Word so that we can live according to that. And in uh, the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we have a better covenant, not written on tablets, but written on our heart. We have the intercession of Jesus, the prayers of Jesus going up before the Father all the time. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He's the light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the light that will never be overcome by darkness. It will never be put out. It's the eternal light. It's the light that shines in our hearts. It's the light that we live by. This is the light of Jesus. This light will light any dark place in our lives. There's no place so dark that this light can't shine. At the bronze laver, Scripture says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that's, that's a whole other word, ecclesia. Sometimes I think it's important, the words we use, because it's not just the church. He also died for the Jewish people, for the Israelites under those first covenants. And we don't see them necessarily as the church, and they don't see themselves necessarily as the church, but they're definitely part of his people. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her by the washing of water with the word. So we don't just eat the word, we also get washed with the word. By the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, like a bride, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So he's the water, he's the word, he's the thing that washes us, and he's the washer. So we see him here at the labor. And then finally at the bronze altar. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Are you getting the picture? Whoops, I'm not done yet. Are you seeing Jesus in the tabernacle? Because it's all about him. And it's always been all about him. It's not, like Jesus gave, it's not like God just gave the Israelites this way to worship and he said, oh, that's a great idea. I can use Jesus there too. No. Yeshua, Jesus was in his heart from the very beginning. He was always pointing to an atoning sacrifice that would make a continual, perpetual, eternal um, payment for the sins of man. The blood of Jesus. It's the only thing that can do it. The blood of bulls and goats can't do it. The blood of bulls and goats was temporary. That's why they had to come year after year after year to atone for the sins of the people. But Jesus came one time. And Stephen has said to you a couple of times, like, this, this earthly tabernacle is, is just a picture, just a model of an actual tabernacle in heaven. I don't know if you've ever thought of that before, but there's a real place in heaven. There's a real altar in heaven. There's a real labor in heaven. <laughs> there's a real place of incense. You know, and he's all of it. You know, he's all of those things in the tabernacle of heaven. But when he was crucified, he marched into that heavenly tabernacle with his blood and poured it out once and for all. You know, it was eternally there from, from the foundation of the earth 
but it was in our time put there at the time of his crucifixion. And you remember when he's appearing to people right after his death, and Mary comes to him and she falls at his feet and he says, don't touch me, I haven't been to the Father. Because you see now he's a purified priest, washed and ready to go into the tabernacle in heaven and pour out the perfect sacrifice. And no one could touch him or he would be made unclean and he wouldn't be able to pour out that blood. So there are so many little hints and phrases and things that we don't connect to what Jesus was doing for us. But he wants to give us wisdom and revelation. He wants us to see him. He wants us to see all the intricacies and all the details because it's all beautiful and it's all about making a way for us to come into his presence. So now I want to read you one more chunk of scripture and then we're going to move into a time of communion. And again, this is because I want you to see it's not our idea, but a good idea Stephen and I had. This is what the word of God says. In Hebrews 8 and 9. Now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. You see, this is the tent man set up. But there's a tent in heaven that God set up. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also, Jesus, our high priest, to have something to offer. They, the earthly priests, serve a copy and a shadow. That's what, that's what the earthly tabernacle was. It was a copy and a shadow of the heavenly tabernacle. This is even a less of a copy and less of a shadow of the earthly tabernacle. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the, than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, the one in heaven, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places. And you see, just like um, blood had to be applied to this altar, blood had to be applied to the heavenly altar. I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Like in spiritual things, blood makes things clean. In physical things, blood makes things dirty. But that's what God requires. He requires blood. As Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. 
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and itself and all the people. Remember, I talked about that in the beginning. Moses sprinkled everything with blood, saying... This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. These are very weighty things. This is the, the core of our faith. This is what our covenant relationship with Jesus is based on. He took his blood, all of his blood, into heaven and poured it out on our behalf. It cost him everything. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Stephen showed you Worship in the tabernacle from the perspective of the worshiper. And I've shown you worship in the tabernacle from the perspective of God. But now, when we enter the tabernacle, we don't have to stop anywhere. We can go boldly, 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 all the way to the throne of God to receive mercy and grace in times of trouble. We get our help here. And we can do that because Jesus made the way. So we felt like the most special way that we could end this teaching today is with communion. And 
just asking the Lord to give us a greater revelation of the gift that he's given us and what it means to live in covenant relationship with him. So Martina and her team are going to come up again and lead us into a place of worship. And when they are kind of finishing their dancing portion, they will come into the tabernacle and dance in the tabernacle, and then they'll come to the table and take communion. And whenever Martina welcomes you to come up, anyone who would like to please come into the tabernacle, enter through the gate, make a decision to come in, and walk through all the pieces of furniture. Take your time. Think about it. Let the Lord speak to you. Come to the table and take communion. Um, we're going to do intinction the way we normally do in this congregation. So you can take a piece of matzah and you can dip it in the juice for your communion. If you don't like that and you don't want to touch those things that other people are touching, there's a little basket of the individual ones. Do whatever you feel comfortable with. If you just want to walk through and you don't want, you don't want to take communion right now, that's fine too. But we're going to wait on Martina to give us a signal that, um, that she's ready. That they are, The kids will take communion and they will go out and then you all come through and have communion and go out. And then I don't know, Pastor Brian, do you want to close us?
want to invite you guys to come forward and take communion. And uh, as you do, just enter through this side here as a symbol of us as worshipers coming to the Lord. And Kayla's going to play some sweet nothings.